Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find major podcast content you can find kyle and i for some reason connect with us on social media at longhorn pod on twitter facebook and instagram the longhorn republic or shoot us an email longhorn republic pod at gmail.com my name is gerald goodridge i'm your host this week like i am every week and i'm joined by a man who is so excited to not report to fall practice tomorrow kyle carpenter kyle how are you you know, uh, I do remember the excitement of of the first day of practice, and you're giddy, and you just get to you get to put the pads on. You get to you know, it, it, it is exciting the, the 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 smell of football in the air. Uh, it is exciting, but man, my bones, my knees. I was uh, on a dance floor at a wedding, and they talked about. I think I don't know if it was the shout, maybe, and it's a little bit lower now. And there was a point I was like, no, I, there is no lower for me. I'm an old man. My body it creaks in ways it did not in my 20 so uh so yeah I, I am glad to not be getting hit by some of the monsters uh reporting for practice tomorrow in uh in austin i will never forget my first like actual fall camp in fre- freshman year having to run across the entirety of our high school campus 5a high school campus in central texas because the field house was on the exact opposite side of the old baseball field that we had to use for freshman practice because they hated us but we're not here to talk about random memories of shirts, Texas. We're here to talk about some football. Football is just a few weeks away. And so we are continuing our season preview uh, programs. If you don't know what we're doing, we go through each week of the Texas Longhorn schedule during the offseason to get somebody who knows them better than we do to help us preview. And this week is Iowa State's run our friend Levi from Wide Right and Natty Light on to help us preview the Cyclones. Then we'll close the show out today with a little Godzilla Tron. So you may be shocked to hear this, but we are 30 days away from actual football being played and not Twitter finger football as we have been playing over the last few weeks. But because of that, we are barreling through our Big 12 previews and we've got our old friend Levi Stevenson of Wide Right and Natty Light and Wide Right and, and streaming and like all sorts of stuff. Like Levi, the Renaissance man, the man who does it all. Man, how you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? I couldn't complain even if you wanted me to. <laughs> 
we, we, you know, I'm sure that extends to all members of the Big 12 Conference that there is no complaints whether, you know, you want them or not. So I, we're all, all probably in the same boat. No, but seriously, like Levi is is a busy man, so we appreciate all the the, the time he cut out for us to, to do this. But um, we we would be remiss, Levi, if we didn't start uh, with with the thing, right? The thing that we're all talking about the the Twitter the thing, right? So uh, if you've been living under a rock and you don't know what's happening, I don't know how you got to our podcast. We're glad you're here, but I'm not sure what you're doing listening to us if you don't know what's going on. So the uh, the Longhorns and the Sooners are officially have been accepted to the SEC, meaning that the Big 12 is shifting. And, and so Levi is here as a representative of Iowa State and Iowa State University and really just the state of Iowa. I think I know two people from Iowa and I like you more than the other person, Levi. So that's a, that's a heavy burden for you to wear. Uh, but but um, so from your perspective, Levi, we're, we're trying to just get a little bit of thoughts from from everybody that comes on that uh, is impacted by this. Like, where, where are you sitting right now? Uh, like, what, a week ish, a week and a half removed from uh, everything blowing up? Uh, yeah. So it's funny because like it was like the Thursday before that we recorded our Down the Pipe and Eddie Light podcast forever. And on that thing, on that, on that thing, I, I was complaining was like. This summer's been pretty boring. Like nothing's been going on or anything like that. Like we haven't had anything to talk about. So we're just like, I just want football season to get here because I'm tired of just rehashing the same shit about the same about Iowa State football this whole time or whatever. And then literally like four days later, this whole show happens. Careful what you wish for. Well, this is my this is my fault. I've accepted that it is my fault. Uh, <laughs> the monkey's paw finger curls down yeah. one. And uh, so it's been i it's been a it's been a roller coaster of emotion this whole time i mean it's it's been you know initially when the first stuff first started coming out the first thing that we're doing is like all right where can iowa state go we're trying to like we're we're pulling the parachute we're getting the fuck out of here where, like, where are we going or whatever and obviously the first thing we're like let's go to the big 10 go to the big 10 that'd be awesome let's do the big 10 or whatever and then we're like we're talking ourselves into it or whatever it's like this is great and then like that was is that first week of just complete and total chaos where the where the leaks first started happening, we're like, it's going. And then I was like, oh, it's not happening. The Big Ten, they were all like, Kansas and Iowa State are on a phone call with with uh, what's his name with the with the uh, Ohio State president, whatever. And like, well, maybe that didn't happen. Then it's just going up and down and up and down and up and down. And then Pac twelve, then we're like, ah, Pac twelve, eh, whatever, fine. And then then like then you go pressing like, what if they don't want us? What if neither? <laughs> we die. We just we just cry. That's all we do. We just go to Jack Trice Stadium and we cry. And then it's kind of going back and forth and going back and forth. And, and then, and then this whole thing, this whole thing with Bob Bowlesby shooting cannon, shooting cannon shots across the bow, across the big 12 bow straight at Texas and Oklahoma and, and really more ESPN than anything or whatever. Like then that whole thing blows up and that opened up a whole new can of worms that I don't know if people were ready. Like for as much as the, as the, as Bowlesby, Bob Bowlesby and the big 12, leadership in general has kind of has kind of been a joke for a little bit a little while i i gotta be honest i kind of respect bullsby for just like screw it i'm going down we're just firing off the torpedoes and seeing what we get <laughs> like i i get it and i kind of respect it or whatever so and i think the the allegations are serious enough serious enough and if assuming he does have the evidence to back because i don't know why you would say all that stuff if he didn't have anything but you know assuming that all that he's got evidence that some of this is at least at least somewhat true forever the, the allegations are serious enough to make people perk up a little bit and say okay well what, hold on what's going on here because it it is it essentially accuses the espn of being this grand puppeteer that's just moving stuff around and using oklahoma and texas as pawns to do whatever they want with their with the sec and the acc and the, and then 
conspiring with the American Athletic Conference and stuff like that. And it's that whole thing has been a, been a whole thing. And then we're starving for like realignment. Like, oh, we want to hear something new about where Iowa State's going to go or any of this. And we're, but I think we're also realizing that we're not going to hear anything for a while because these are, these are like, these are kind of tectonic plates that move. I mean, it takes a long time for this stuff to happen. And if anybody thought that the Big Ten was going to pull the trigger on adding Iowa State and Kansas in like three days, that's, that's not going to happen. Right. Like, I mean, that wouldn't even happen if it was Notre Dame. Like, like it just doesn't happen that fast, and it can't happen. And if and if anyone was expecting the Big Ten to make a decision that fast, it was not going to go in Iowa State's favor by right. sitting and by it waiting and by letting this thing kind of stew a little bit, letting things kind of shake out, let letting a little bit of time pass and giving the big 10, you know, an option to figure out, are they going to expand? If they're going to expand, what's the strategy, you know, and what are they going to look for? What are their expectations? What's their checklist look like? And um, that, and I think it's the longer this drags out, I think it does actually kind of work in Iowa state's favor because it means more scenarios are coming up. Mm. Is it, I would just, Iowa state in Kansas. Uh, Maybe probably not, but maybe, I mean, it's, it's, it would be like, the Big Ten does kind of march to the beat of their own drum a little bit. So, like, when when everyone says, well, they need to add, you know, if SEC is adding Oklahoma and Texas, they need to add something to, to catch up or they need to do this. Like, well, one, there is no two options anywhere in college football that can that can that you can keep up with the Joneses with those two schools or whatever. I mean, I mean, if you found, like, Notre Dame and Clemson, maybe. But, like, but I mean, for the most part, you're not really going to find two like that. And the Big Ten also may not really care that much about trying to keep up with the Joneses in that particular context that mode um but maybe they try to grab a few pac 12 schools and then they make a kind of a western you know they take the big 10 west or they make some pods or whatever and they expand it and then there's it's you know i don't know usc stanford washington and oregon and then you bring kansas and iowa state with them you go to 20 and then you have two 10 team divisions or four or five team pods or whatever you want to do um you can do all that type of stuff. There's a lot of more, there's a lot more scenarios that come up in that come into play the longer you wait, and we kind of got to see what's going to happen as far as when Texas and Oklahoma are leaving. It's it's there's there's so right, many moving right. parts of this that, and just because the the Texas and Oklahoma news is is news to all of us and it is a bit of reactionary period, let's not pretend like that also happened in a week or anything. These these uh, landscape shifting decisions don't just happen with a snap of the fingers. There is planning. There is uh, constant conversation. There is negotiation. There you know parties are 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 aligned, which that in itself just takes a great deal of time. So I think that makes sense. I, I hope no one was was sitting here hoping. I, I get the the dopamine hits that were. You know, each day of the past week and a half that was just like new news. What was it? Oh, scandal. Oh, you know, but they, they, there will be a quiet period. And that's honestly probably a good thing as, as that means things are conversations are actually happening in private and things are moving. There's, there's news coming up so fast, but none of it was ever the news you thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Like it was always something completely out of left field. They're like, like, oh, my God, wait, like, see, like, let's see if I was in Kansas or going to the Big Ten. Bob Bowlesby accusing ESPN of high-level <laughs> corporate corruption. Uh, okay, well, I didn't have that on my bingo card, but we're going with it. And that's just kind of it's just like okay, we're, we're doing this, I guess. Yeah, and and I, I'll just say this for all of the Iowa State fans who joined Levi to listen, and you know you should because it's always a good time when he comes on and good stuff gets talked about. You may be in various phases of the Kubler Ross 
grief cycle. It, it is very normal to, in fact, uh, bounce between them. It is it is not linear. You it is it is a bit cyclical, and you may be bubbling from denial to anger to bargaining to depression, and, and all the way back, or or any steps along there. So, and that's okay, guys. As as we said, uh, there's a process here for everyone, even for for you know Gerald and I. We we joked about it. You know, we think that that like. Guys like Levi, people that you know we've heard in the past few weeks from from some of our other kind of sister SB Nation uh, sites. We think Big Twelve SB Nation and just Big Twelve Twitter is some of the funniest. You know, we, we've made friends along the way, and, and the idea that we're not playing for years and that goes away, it's like, oh man, that, man, that kind of sucks. We you can't have your cake and eat it too, but that, that that is a part of it. So we come to terms with our own cycle of change and, and acceptance of that, right? So uh, it, it is it is a, an interesting time, and in the cycle uh, will will play out, but uh, but I mean. We got the right guy here. We we will we will we will savor every morsel that we get uh, with you. And it doesn't mean we can't have you on. And it doesn't mean we may not end up in a basketball matchup. Or we'll find we'll find some way to play each other in years coming. I'm sure of it. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll take every chance we get to get some Levi in our lives. Well, I appreciate that. That makes me feel that makes me feel really really good. <laughs> I don't know if it'll save Iowa State from the American Athletic Conference, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> But you know what's oh. funny? It was an interesting dynamic early on in that whole thing is there was a whole bunch of people trying to figure out who to point the finger at. And yeah. everybody with his media, like, it's Texas. It's definitely Texas. Doesn't even matter what's going on. It's Texas. It's their fault. And then, and then everyone's like, maybe it was OU. And they were just doing a really good job of using Texas as a meat shield. Yep. And then <laughs> both, then the ESPN stuff comes out. It's like, wait a second. <laughs> what if this is like three levels deep where ESPN is like, Let's do this. Where you move Oklahoma and Texas around, then Texas is like, and then then they made Oklahoma think they're the great, like they gaslighted Oklahoma into thinking they're the the masters of this whole thing, and then Oklahoma's like, we're gonna get Texas to take the blame for this. And then, <laughs> like, this we all know Texas A and M is ultimately to blame for all of this, right? It's somehow it's it's their fault forever. I know I would say it is only like one in fourteen lifetime against Texas A and M, but the only the only one that ever counted was Todd Blythe catching four touchdowns on him, and that's that's the only game of those that ever counted. I love Todd Blythe. The Oklahoma Board of Regents meeting was was really where this thing pivoted for, I think, a lot of people. Because the Oklahoma Regents spent, like, what felt like six hours just just spraying all over everyone that they'd ever come in contact with. I'm like, if if Texas was was the villain at the start of this meeting, you guys are really, really helping us out. Right. <laughs> And that's, I don't I don't think anybody really still does truly know who to point the finger at at this. And then I'm like, I don't know if there's even one person, but it's more like it's just, this whole the whole thing's a mess. I mean, I, I I'm of the opinion that this is pretty much all bad for college football. It's good for like it might be good for Texas and OU in the short term, but man, I I think this is a massive L for college football. But it's just me, and it's working on very little information compared to what is required to make an evaluation on it, but. If how about this? If 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 it is if college football survives, then it is you know obviously we we all know it's going to change. It's going to look different. Name and image likeness. I mean, there's a ton of things that are, that are. It's just a, a, a literal landscape shifting is going on right now. But but let's say as we understand it, college football, there are conferences going forward. The conferences are as we know them. If you had to pick the ideal Iowa State scenario that you talked about, multiple scenarios where they ended up. I mean, just from Levi, not necessarily speaking for the entire nation, but wh- where where would you? What was your ideal uh, next move? Oh, a Big Ten, it's not even close. I mean, it yeah. would be. I mean, that would be like Kingsbury level of falling ass backwards into a better job. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, sure. I mean, 
the Big Ten makes just so much sense for every everything you can think of. It makes sense geographically. You move Cyhawk, it becomes a conference game. You open up a non-con game so you can play somebody interesting. You have natural built-in rivals with Nebraska, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Illinois, which Iowa State has history with all of them. Mm. And yet you can it's a team that can immediately compete at the top of the division with Wisconsin. And you're you're right there. It fits at the academic profile because it's an AAU school. It fits what the Big Ten cares about. I mean, it, in every way except that Iowa State is not a blue blood. It makes every bit of sense in the world for Iowa State. Your income, your your yearly revenue goes up by about ten million, which I would say it's doing pretty good with Big Twelve of our money right now. And the Big Ten money would theory, theoretically be a big old shot of nitrous right in the engine there. And you, I mean, it would be an unbelievable home run to end up in the Big Ten. And I, I, it's definitely not a, a not definitely far from a zero percent chance of it happening. I think it would be, I mean, legitimately, as much as it sucks right now, if Iowa State comes out of the other end of this thing in the Big Ten, it's gonna be the best thing that ever happened to the university, hands yeah. down. Not even close. And it's a wrestling conference. I keep saying this on Twitter. I I want Iowa State and Oklahoma State in the Big Ten just because re, like wrestling conference. Come on. I get it together. Oklahoma State, Iowa, Minnesota, Ohio State, Penn State, all in the same conference. Like the top six of the top seven wrestling programs in history, all in one conference. Do it. We we do have football to talk about because again, <laughs> we are we are thirty days, right? Big Ten doesn't hardly have any baseball either, so we're not going to get baseball shamed the whole season too. So that's good. <laughs> oh man. Oh, you might deal with that, but so. Matt Campbell, we, we have to start with Matt Campbell. Every offseason, they promise me he's going to leave, and he doesn't. Uh, but he led Iowa State to, I believe, the sec- with the second nine-win uh, season in school history, finished atop of the big... Two less games. <laughs> right? It, which is insane to think about. Finished at the top of the Big 12 regular season standings. Again, every offseason, they promise me he's going to leave and finally stop bugging me, but he, he sticks around. Um, and so, like, from your perspective, from what we've heard from him, what has made Iowa State the perfect fit for Coach Campbell and, like, what he's trying to do in, in the college football landscape? You can, you can stem on this question forever, but, like, it, it's, it is a little bit of a cliche, but the guy, dude, the dude straight up is wired differently than everybody else. He just is. Like, I mean, I know, I know it is a cliche to say that, but it could not be more true with Matt. Like he's had, I mean, the the offer that he reportedly got from the Jets or, or from the Lions, where it was like ten million a year, like it was like he like if that was real or whatever, like turned down ten million dollars yeah. in the NFL to coach at Iowa State for four and a half. Like you have to be you have to be built a little different to do that. And you know, there's the, there's kind of the the legend that goes when he when he was coaching Toledo, they played at Iowa State in 2015. And he said, you know, you know, as, as he, as he tells the story, you know, he came and walked around the stadium, walked around the tailgate lots or whatever, and called his wife and said, Hey, this place is pretty awesome. If this job ever comes open, I want to come here. And then sure as shit, I would say beat Tulio in that game. Um, but sure as shit, at the end of the season, Paul Rhodes gets, is gone. And now we're here with Matt. Um, and what, there's a lot of different things I think that go in to him, that him wanting to stay here. It's not just one big thing. It's, it's a lot of little things where it's having Jamie Pollard, who is, you know, widely regarded as one of the better eighties in, in the country. Yeah. I, I think I, I don't remember where I saw it was at the athletic or whatever it was. They, they, they described him as he's kind of like of the current active athletic directors. He would be kind of on the Mount Rushmore right now, which I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know other people's athletic directors well enough, but that said something that someone would even include that in, in, in the description of him. So Jamie's really good at his job. He's really easy to work with. 
Um, he does a, he does a great job of helping keep Matt happy, getting him new facilities and getting him what he needs to be successful. And that sometimes that is Matt giving up part of his salary to cover his assistant's assistant coach's salary during COVID and like, and helping in finding great players and developing them. And like he gets a kick out of like the things that you, that like this, like kind of the cheesy things they're like, Oh, I love developing players. Like the one, you know, the coaches, the things that coaches always say, like, Oh, I love developing players. I love the process of getting them, of turning them from, from boys into, into young men and, and develop them on the field and all this. He actually, that's, that's what he cares about. That is legitimately what that dude loves doing. He loves taking finding a guy like Mike Rose in Brexville, Ohio, that was a 0.82 or whatever it was on 247 Sports, stealing him away from Ball State and turning him into one of the best linebackers in college football. That's what Matt Campbell loves to do. Or finding Charlie Kohler out of Norman, you know, the guy that didn't, he was a big Oklahoma fan growing up, never got his Oklahoma offer, and now he unleashes Charlie Kohler on the entire conference, including Oklahoma, for fun. Like that, like, that kind of stuff is what gets Matt going. It is, it is building relationships with people, helping, you know, and, and helping these, the community of Ames grow. I mean, he likes living here. Ames is a great place to live. And it's, it's small. There's not like a lot there. I mean, it's not like a, it's like an Austin or something like that where you guys a huge nightlife or anything like that. It's not that it's a small town. Uh, re- relatively speaking, not it's pretty big for Iowa, but it's small to everybody else. Um, but you know, it's it's a fairly small town, but it's it's a really great place to live and and it's a strong sense of community, all of that. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons to really like coaching at Iowa State because it's and it's a it's a program that it has a, it has resources to do what you need to do. It's not like rich, it's not like Texas rich or ECU rich, right? It's not that, but it's we've got enough resources to pretty much kind of do what you want to do, but you don't have the eyes, the pressure, you don't have all that you don't have a fan base of bearing down on you. If you lose one game that they're going to try to, they're going to try to put you up on a cross and, and fire you. Like, I mean, it's, it's a whole, it's not, you don't have that. You have, you have resources. You'll have time to do what you want. You have a supportive fan base that packs that stadium whenever they can, they travel. I think there's going to be 20,000 fans in Las Vegas to watch them play. You watch, watch them kick the shit out of UNLV in September. Like just stuff like that. There's a, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of really attractive parts of the Iowa state job. And, and you, you're starting to see that with a lot of young coaches now too, where they're starting to realize that the grass is not always greener right. at the bigger house across the street. Like it's on the other side of the fence. It's, it's not always greener. And there, and you, you're starting to see a trend. It's still, you still see coaches jumping up and stuff like that, but you know, how much more attractive is Tennessee or Florida state? How much, how much more attractive is that than Ames? Or the, and then Iowa State, where you can you're you're going to be free to do whatever you want. There's no pressure if you if you win eight nine games, you're going to be celebrated like a god. Matt, yeah. Campbell, Matt Campbell will have a statue outside of Jack Rice Stadium. If, even if he lives that leaves after the season, the dude's getting a statue. Well, and look, I mean, I I played a lot of NCAA back in the day. There's something about building that program that isn't expected to be the national contender, and when you do it, you just you know you could kind of thumb your nose at everybody else, and like I did it. Well, you know, if if uh, no one else could, and and you know that's that's got to be a pretty cool feeling and, and have some allure. But one thing that I know, again, with extensive NCAA dynasty building, is that uh, it's easy to come back when you have one of the better players at their position in college football coming back. And and that's my incredible segue to say Brees Hall's back for his third season, leading the nation in rushing uh, last year over 1,500 yards, again, with a couple less games, uh, I believe 21 touchdowns. Uh, so the expectations are obviously 
I mean, incredibly high. I'm sure in Ames, obviously from everyone else looking from the outside in, what what are the realistic expectations of where he can go uh, this year? Specifically for Brees Hall? Yeah. Um, I mean, if he keeps up his per-game average, he's going to be flirting with 2,000 yards. If he just does exactly what he did last year and you extrapolate it out to a few extra games, I mean, yeah, 2,000 yards. Do I think he's going to get to 2,000 yards? I don't know. That's a pretty big number. But, you know... And, you know, there's not very many people that have rushed for 2,000 yards. Now, granted, the first two were Iowa State was an Iowa State running back, which is kind of <laughs> funny. But, um, you know, it's not uh, – that's a big that's a big number. I don't know if it'd be fair to say, well, if he doesn't get 1,800 yards, then it's a failure. It's, I don't think that's fair at all. I mean, even, even 1,500 yards for a full season, because he had, what, 1,547 or something like that last season. And uh, if he ends up with that exact number again in a few couple fewer games – but he catches more passes or whatever, or he's got better yards per carry, whatever it is. I mean, that's, that's plenty successful. If he's, if he's got 1500 yards and I don't know, 15 to 20 touchdowns at the end of the season, I'd certainly consider that uh, a successful season. Is it going to be enough to win him the Doak Walker? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but you know, if he, if he like, if he just does exactly what he did last season, but you just, you just, stretch it out to two more games. He's probably a Doak Walker. He's probably going to win the Doak Walker. He's probably, you know, a French Heisman finalist. Maybe he's in New York. Like, I mean, and it, you know, part of that will depend on how I, how good Iowa state is as a team. If Iowa state is only eight and four, he's not going to get there. But if he's, if they're 10 and two, 11 and one or something like that, then he's got a good shot at it. Um, but you know, the great, the, the, the way I've described how Brees Hall works on this team is that, and especially, and especially just for Iowa state as a, as a whole team is that Brees sets your floor and Brock sets your ceiling. So if Brock Purdy's playing really good, Iowa State can be an unbelievably good team. But when you have Brees back there, your floor is much higher because you can just give the ball to Brees. He'll get you a buck fifty. He'll get you a buck fifty on twenty twenty five carries, and that's you just you can just you can just write it down for that. And that's what happens. And buck fifty and a couple of touchdowns. And that's just what Brees says. He gives you a floor. He gives you a really nice high floor when you have that group of tight ends and you have Brees and you have a good offensive line like Iowa State does. Which God, I can't believe I just said that out loud. But um, <laughs> You know, when you have that, when you have a running game, your floor is pretty high. That's, I mean, that, there's a reason that coaches always say, well, you got to build around the running game. You got to build around the running game. That's because the running, bank, running game sets your floor. When you have a guy like Brees Hall, you have a pretty high floor. And you, you gotta, you're killing the segues tonight, which, again, it's why I really appreciate you having. The next, the, Absolutely murder your structure of your podcast. No, this, this was actually per- the next one. Was Brock Purdy right? Like um, Brock Purdy is heading into what feels like his fifteenth season uh, playing for Iowa State. Well, he could come back again next year. <laughs> Some of us would hate that. Maybe I don't care. Maybe we're in a different conference. Who knows? It won't even affect you. <laughs> it might. It might not affect me at all. But um, he's heading into a senior season, and and it's pretty clear that he is like this the second best quarterback in the conference. Like like far and away, I think you got Rattler. Purdy, and then a couple of other guys that could probably be in a conversation for number three, right? But but Purdy is, is pretty clearly the, the second guy there. So building on what we just talked about for Brees Holland and how Brock Purdy sets your ceiling, like what is the ceiling for him and like what, it, what, what does success look like for him and how good does he have to be for Iowa State to achieve their goals this year? Well, we saw when Brock – like if you could take the second half of the Baylor game – onto the end of the regular season and even kind of into the championship game. He threw some picks in the championship game, but it was otherwise pretty good. Um, if you, but if you really take the, the second half of the Baylor game to the end of the season, so that's the second half of the Baylor game, that's the Kansas state blowout. That's Texas. That's West Virginia and, and West Virginia blowout, I should say. And 
<laughs> just want to throw that in there real quick. Um, <laughs> the last two home games, Iowa, Iowa State outscored their opponents, you know, 97 to 6. So, but, um, but Brock was really good. He didn't throw like he didn't throw 40 times a game. He threw like 25 or 30 passes and he completed 15 or 20 of them or whatever. If Brock is, you know, around 65, 70%, you know, pushing 70%, he's limiting his turnovers. The dude's just got to be Alex Smith. That's all he's got to be. Be a hmm. game manager. Complete passes, hit Charlie Kohler on stick routes and ruin people's lives on stick routes for first downs. Hit hit uh Xavier Hutchinson on some crossing routes, hit Tariq Milton deep a hit a couple times here and there. Don't really need to push the ball downfield too much because you got those two guys and you've got Brees Hall. Just do your job. Don't throw interceptions. Don't turn the ball over. That's it. That's all he's got to do. If he does that and Brees Hall does his thing, Iowa State can be a 10-11 win team without like, I mean, that like everybody doing their job is Iowa State getting to 10 wins. And that and that's kind of where it's at. But if Brock is really good, if Brock is like if Brock is at his at his peak. I mean, they're they're gonna they can, they can absolutely push for an undefeated regular season if he's playing at his peak for a whole season. Now, the whole question with Brock is how when is he going to be at his peak? When is he going to be struggling? How long is he going to take him to get up to speed? Because last season it took five six games for him to really mm. get going, um, which Iowa State can't really afford. I mean, they the schedule is is backloaded, so they if if they have another slow start, they can recover and still come out of that first stretch undefeated. But you know. Brock needs to be good the whole season. He, he just does. He needs to be consistent. He doesn't have to be his best the whole season. He just has to be fine. He has to do his job. That's what he's got to do the whole season. If he does that, that gets Iowa State a lot of wins. And when you're a quarterback and you're looking for a, uh, I might be at my best, but I just need these yards real quick, like you mentioned, uh, a tight end is a pretty good way to do that. And of course, of 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 course, but let's talk specifically because I think that tight end room is the is certainly the the most dangerous in the country outside of teams that run the option. I don't know many teams that can throw three tight ends on the field and 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 have an equal run pass threat. I mean, tell me a little bit about you know other than just being the most Iowa thing in the world. Uh, what advantages uh, that gives you know a look that a lot of not a Big Twelve defenses uh, necessarily are ready for. Well, I mean, part of it is their size. I mean, Charlie Kohler's 6'6", 250. Chase Allen's like 6'6", 6'7", 240, something like that. Last year, he held Dylan Saner, who was 6'8", 270. Now, he's gone, but you still got a couple other guys back there that are 6'5", 6'6", 250 range or something. I mean, like, they recruit absolutely enormous human beings for that round, for that room, for one. And Big 12 defenses tend to be a little bit smaller to, to get more speed just as a general rule, not, not mm-hmm. universal, but generally speaking, smaller, faster defenses. Well, as like a, a bunch of people have found out the last few years, that doesn't cover Charlie Kohler. That doesn't, that doesn't do it because you can drape of, you can, Brennan Radley Hiles found that a bookie found that out <laughs> in, a, in a hard, hard way that you can, you can just literally hang on him. If you want, he's going to catch it and you're still going to get the defensive pass interference and you're just going to have to deal with it. Chihuahua's fighting Great Danes usually works out really well. That's, yeah, right. Yeah, it's yeah. Usually, it usually works out for good for the Chihuahua, and <laughs> and and that's just, that's part of the philosophy, and that's the way Iowa State receivers have been too. Generally speaking, Iowa yeah. State has pretty yeah. pretty big receivers. They've got a couple small slot receivers, but otherwise, the if they're not a small slot receiver, they're pretty big. Yeah. They're usually yeah. six three, six five, six three six to six five range, give or take. Some six six is like they the guy uh, Tristan Michaud. He's a he's Canadian. He's a red shirt. Well, he'd be a covid freshman this year he's six six something um sean shaw jinx oklahoma he's six six um he uh so they 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 recruit size because they know that 
you know, is Iowa State going to be able to get the absolute? Is, are they going to be able to pull the top end speed? Are they ever going to get like a guy like a like a Jalen Waddle where he just torches everybody? Probably not. But they can get guys that are tall and they got they have good hands and that good, that block really well. They can they can play Big Ten football, or or a, a a fun version of Big Ten football, and it creates a huge matchup problem for most everyone in the conference because everybody else is trying to stop Oklahoma. And then Iowa State's like, well, we can stop Oklahoma, but we're gonna do our own thing on offense and we're going to do the opposite of Oklahoma. And you're also not going to like that. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be fun for any of us. It won't be. It'll be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> like ask Oregon. They were like, they were like, Oh man, we've got all these great recruits. And we're like, that's cool. Cause definitely Oklahoma and Texas don't have good recruits. <laughs> and you know, and then they found out that death by a thousand paper cuts is so much less fun. Slowly bleeding out on, uh, on the ball field. I mean, when you get when you just get Brace Hall and Dylan Sainer just trucking people going for five six yards a pop all game, just ev- like every play, just bang bang bang, like it's like it's just hard. To, you just can't sustain that on defense. You just can't. No, not. I mean, you wear down. It's it is it is not the football that is commonly played nowadays. But the old ways are still uh, still effective. Come to find out. Um, the three, the three, the three stack defense. I, am I blowing up your segue again? No, it's perfect. It's perfect. Continue. Like the three stack defense or whatever. That's not a new concept at all. I mean, like three down, like a three, like a, a stack defense. Three stack defense is not new at all. But John Haycock's like, hey, I bet this would work pretty good against Oklahoma. Turns out it does. And when you have a personnel to do it, it's pretty good. So it's not like. We're, we're probably done in football as far as like like brand new innovative concepts. Like we've got pretty much every base covered as far as offensive scheme goes. Like we have everything from a triple option to Mike Leach. I mean, and everything in between. There's a combination of everything in between. So like there, like is there any going to be like truly new concepts that come up? Probably not very often. But you can still find stuff in the old one. You can adapt it a little bit in in the old ways or whatever you want to call it in older schemes and fit them to new stuff. Like the three stack, you know, it's air rate is way newer than three stack defense. But turns out if you if you do a really good job and you, and you line up your cloud coverage just right, you've got the good personnel that could hold down the interior of that offensive line. Well, you can drop eight, and it's really hard to throw yeah, against yeah. eight co- against eight people in coverage. And especially when your coverage does a really good job of being disciplined and being good open field tacklers and doing all the things that you're supposed to do well. When you have when the guys that are that do the individual stuff really well, you can run a defense like that and have a lot of success with it. Even though it's not a new concept at all, you don't have to be a you don't have to be a trendsetter, you like you don't you don't have to be some innovative genius to be good at football. You just got to know what you're doing, where you're using it, and how and how to how to implement it properly. So let's let's dive in on that that defense and the the three three five and all of that. Um, Iowa State was like a late game boa constrictor last year. They they gave up uh, sixteen second half points in their final five games of the year, which is just absolutely dumb, right? Who asked? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh man, we all hate him. No, you love him. We hate him. No. So today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. 
so the Iowa State loses Jaquan Bailey on on that front line, but they've got Will McDonald and um, a name I'm not I'm going to butcher here. Eo- Nobody really ever calls him by his real first name. It's his his he goes, he goes by any so E N Y I, Eni Wazarike. But anyway, he's I've never, coming I've back never, too. I'm not sure if I've ever even heard someone try to pronounce his first name. Like I don't even know I, if he uses it. Like, he's just <laughs> bailed on it. Like, <laughs> it, it I, I looked. I looked at the roster. It's what it said. It's here we are now. But how do they? Like how do? You, it's impossible to replace a guy like Jaquan Bailey. Like you don't. You don't replace Jaquan Bailey, right? But you try your best. You try. You try to find a guy who's close enough and see if they could build into it. So what does that? What does that group look like? What does that defense look like um, without Bailey, who's now gone on to to the next level? So the day with the three stack defense, especially when you've got three down defensive linemen, your nose tackle is a huge part of that. I mean, he's he's the he's the linchpin of that whole defense because if he doesn't do his job, then you can't get a pass rush, you can't do your run fits or anything like that. So having any Wazarike back is huge. It's he's been around every bit. He's been actually been around longer than Brock Purdy has, um, and he started his career at like six five, two forty, two fifty uh, as a, as, a, as a tall defensive end basically, and now he's up to six five, three twenty. So he's a, he's a big boy now. Um, anybody he's, he's got defensive end type instincts but he's playing nose tackle um but you, i mean you, like you know you said you can't really place replace replace jaquan bailey and while that's sort of true um replacing him with a guy that led the country in sacks and has never started a game in his life and will probably be the all-time sack leader after like six games this season probably about as good as you could ask for um and anybody that watches tape can know will mcdonald is a major problem he is really good he's probably i would say his best shot at a first round pick first round draft pick after the season he, he would still have he would still have two full seasons left to play after this one if he wanted to um but well uh, with the uh, with how much the nfl values pass rushers i mean if he has another good season where if he because if he's on pace um he, he'll end up with probably in the neighborhood of 13 or 14 sacks this season um which is a pretty good number um you know, I would say it's career record before Jaquan Bailey was 18 and a half and he's going to get 14 in one season. Probably it, it, that was easy. That's like easily one of the most embarrassing. I was career records is our sack <laughs> record. Uh, now it's pretty good. It's like 24 now. I think like someone with that with Jaquan Bailey. So it's, it's respectable. It's not like great, but it's respectable. Will Will McDonald, especially if he stays his whole, if he stays his whole career, he's going to, he'll be, he, he'll probably, if he stays for his full career, he's going to be the big 12s all time leader in sacks, um, which includes like Von Miller. Uh, I mean, he's, He's a monster. I mean, as, as you can watch the tape, man. There's like, there's like, he's like one of the, he's like a three true outcome defensive end. Either he puts your quarterback on the ground, he gets a holding penalty, or he makes your quarterback absolutely crap himself trying to get the ball out of his hand at, at, in time before <laughs> Will McDonald gets to him. Like, he, like you know, you get the three true outcome hitter in baseball. He's like a three true outcome defensive end. Um, he's legitimately terrifying to deal with, but he's got guys across from him now too. You got Blake Peterson's a young guy. He came out as his uh, four star guy. He came out of South Dakota. He's got a crazy mop of blonde curly hair it's the weirdest thing i've ever seen it's like an, it looks it looks like a perm but it's not it might be i don't know it looks like a perm though. i i want to know his hairdresser in names iowa who's given him a perm if that's the case well he had his perm he had what looked like a perm when he was in vermilion south dakota so there's somebody up there even yeah maybe they traveled with him it's i'm i'm the small town perm expert of the greater uh, north and midwest i understand <laughs> So you got that. You got guys like Corey Suttle is a guy that can come up. You've got uh, Zach Peterson has played a lot of snaps at Iowa State. Um, you've got uh, Tucker Robertson's another guy that can get in there. I mean, they've got lots of guys back there. Will McDonald is still he'll he'll get the most attention now for sure. But that leaves room for other guys to step. I'm and those guys are plenty talented to to, to um, 
take advantage of that extra space that they'll probably get with Will McDonald getting likely double teamed fairly frequently. So, oh, I was going to say, we know Mike Rose is really good. We know he's probably the best, you know, defensive player in the Big 12. He he, he has conversations, and, and this year we'll say a lot of where he ranks as one of the better defensive players in the country, right? Um, I, there are some other guys, though, in that linebacking room. Jake Hummel, Ryan Vance are both really good. Um, I think your safety play with, with Greg Eisworth and, and I think probably Jaquan Amos on the other side of him is really good. What is is there a weakness on the defense if you had to say it and if you say no, there's none, we're perfect, okay, we understand. But if you had to say one, where do you where are you watching the most as, as a weak point on on the defense, Vance? If there is one weak spot, I, I don't I'm not gonna say it's like a weak spot, but it's the weakest spot, I will say, is is the second corner. Anthony Johnson was a I think he was second all team big twelve. He's probably he probably should have been first team. Um, but whatever. Um it probably been an excessive number of Iowa State players on the first team if they put it in. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Anthony Johnson had a really good season last. He had the season mm-hmm. that we thought he was going to have in like 2019. We thought he was going to make the jump a little bit earlier, but he did. He had a really good season. Um, showed it against some really good receivers. He really frustrated the hell out of Tylen Wallace. Um, couple, really held his own against some really good receivers. And so he's kind of got that first one locked down. But the second corner spot's got to get locked down. Daytron Young is. It's been Daytron Young and and Tavon Kyle that have split that time mostly up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, they both have limitations. Uh, Tavon Kyle was a receiver head, so his his natural instincts are, are – he still needs more polish as far as kind of the technical side of it. Daytron Young is small, and he's not very fast, and he has a tendency to blow deep coverages. So it's not not ideal there. The guy – if I had to put some money on who's going to end up be eating the most starts there this season, it's probably going to be TJ Tampa. You think so? Okay. He's a, he's a, co- he's a COVID freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an incredible athlete. I mean, I don't yeah. know if anybody's seen the, seen the videos of him dunking in high school games, but he's, mm-hmm. he's an unbelievable athlete. Um, and I think he, there's a really good chance that he gets that he gets playing time as well. I think I think if I if I were to a betting man, I would say by the end of the season we're going to see TJ Tampa getting lining up across from Anthony Johnson. I think that's a very good thing for Iowa State because he's the guy that can be around for three or four more years or three years anyways after this one and and be Iowa State's lockdown corner for the for quite a while. Okay, so let's let's put a pin. Let's put a put a point on the football stuff for for with this last question, Levi. If if there's one storyline that you are watching for 2021, if you're like this is the thing I'm paying the closest attention to, what's that thing for Iowa State in 2021? Brock Brockford. It, it, it's keeping an eye on how consistent is he. What's he doing? Is he forcing throws that he doesn't need to? Is he pushing the ball downfield? Um, to hit like a Tariq Milton or something like that deep. What does Brock look like? Because if Brock, like I said, I'm, you know, like I said that earlier, you know, if Brock is consistently doing his job, I was taking on a lot, a lot of football games. If he's putting him in difficult situations like they did against Baylor last year, now they won, they beat Baylor um, after a pretty big second half comeback, but he can't be throwing three picks in the first half. That's just not, that's not sustainable. And, or even like TCU, he had a really, he had kind of a rough game or, you know, he, he can't be having, really i mean you can't expect the guy to never throw a pick but it's more but you know instead of throwing six picks he needs to throw three something like that you know every little turnover makes a big difference and like i said brock sets the ceiling i would say it's got a high floor because of how much veteran experience they have how how rock solid the defense always is how good the running game should be like the floor is fairly high for iowa state like where eight and four would be probably kind of a disappointment would be would i would definitely categorize eight and four as a disappointment uh, which is fucking bonkers land for Iowa State football but here we are um but Brock can take you from nine wins to 11 wins 
or 12 wins. He can he can do that by playing well and by not turning the ball over. So that's that's what I'm that's what I am most looking forward to paying attention to it throughout the whole season is, is what does Brock look like? Is he having fun playing? Because I know a couple a couple years ago when you know all that pressure was on in the beginning of last year too, um, that he has a tendency to t- kind of t- tense up at times and see and to feel like in play like he has to make all the plays. But I mean, sure. It, by now, he definitely knows that he doesn't. He's got Brooks Hall. He's got Charlie Kohler. All he has to do is throw it just anywhere within ten feet of Charlie Kohler, and he'll come up with it. Or whatever. He's got a lot of a lot of safety nets. Know that he can he can do what he needs to do. He doesn't have to force anything. He doesn't have to be Superman. He has to just go out there and just do his job. And if Brock is playing loose, he's having fun. He's doing all that stuff. That's good Brock Purdy. That's the Brock Purdy we want to see. So we'll call it, we'll call it, that was that was a great punctuation for for the football related stuff. We uh, we like to throw some random stuff at you, Levi, because that's that's really really fun stuff. So um, we we came up with with the new name for this year of our rapid fire called shooting from the hip. It's kind of a bit now that we just come up with a new name for this rapid fire section every year. But my my first question is, and a lot of people don't know this probably about you, um, but you you also have a a D and D live play podcast called. Uh, uh, with rolls and no luck. So if that's your thing, check it out on wherever you get podcasts. But my my question, I, I want to hear from you. If if you were DMing for for Matt Campbell, right? What what would maybe it's his first time? What what class would you push him to? Like what what where would you make Matt Campbell recommend he play in your game? That's a good one. I think I'm I would probably push him towards a paladin because I think he's kind of got the. He's kind of got a little bit of fighter aspect to it, but paladins are also like very like lawful good, neutral good type of thing. Like they don't really mess around too much, and very rarely, I mean, you can't have an evil paladin, but most of the time they're good and they're basically never neutral. And he's kind of you know, uh, paladins specifically are kind of a man of their faith. They're a fan of the process, is what paladins are. And uh, I I I think Matt Campbell would be a paladin. I do. I I think he's he's got a dedication to his to his process to his his chosen you know religion of football whatever you want to call it but he's there he helps people out he's a charismatic guy yeah all that i think he's a paladin all right so uh for all the non-nerds thank you for sticking with us let's keep this thing rolling uh (laughs) uh, (laughs) kicker connor uh a we don't pronounce it ass alley of course is returning for his sixth season of both football and butt related humor uh much the light of of bloggers uh worldwide um, what is your favorite uh, faux fanny nickname that that Connor has been given? Mm, see, we we actually did an article about this right when he kind of first started blowing up, and we had, we came up with literally like 150 of them. Oh my god! Oh my I, god. There, I mean, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let me a little bit look it up real quick. Let me see if I can find it. Um, there we go. Fitzgerald Connor, Connor Sally nickname list. All right, we'll see. We've got here. We've got a bunch of winners here. There's a lot of really good ones. We've got. <laughs> Uh, Anus Annex, Booty Bayou, Badonkadonk Bluff, Butt Boulevard, uh, Caboose Court, Kulo Causeway, Derrier Divide, Dumper Drive, Fanny Freeway, Fart Box Fork, Gluteus Maximus Glen, Moneymaker Motorway, Posterior Parkway, Poop Shoot Promenade, Rump Road, Took Us Trail, Turt Cutter Turnpike, Tush Terrace, and Wazzy Way. Let me just say, Gerald and I are, are not young men, but you just activated the six-year-old part of our brain that actually is probably more 
more than half of our brain. brain. If I had to nominate one, I'd probably say Turd Cutter Turnpike's my favorite. <laughs> okay, <but. okay. laughs> that, that, that will never get old. Again, we apologize for our actual adult listeners, um, but I have to ask a follow-up because, you know, I write the Texas pregamer. It's my joy to, to, to comb through the, the roster every year for a better Noah roster, obviously, which is completely satirical. But um, I uh, last year, I think my favorite name, again, this is – I had – been scoping uh, Connor, we'll call him as his government name for years, but uh, there was a couple that I really liked. TJ Tampa came up because I thought it sounded like Gronkowski's alias that he parties under. Uh, it, it just is a good name, right? It sounds so fake. Um, I thought there was a guy named Blaze Docks, and I have a, a dog, and I just imagine him with flames down the side. Um, um, he's the <laughs> son of Todd Doxon, who was an Iowa State quarterback in the 90s and is currently, or it was or is currently, the play-by-play radio announcer for the Atlanta Falcons. I love that. I did not know that at all. Thank you. Um, tell me then, what is your favorite name on the, the current Iowa State roster? Uh, Teacher Tampa is a pretty good one. Um, it used to be Chandler Pulvermacher, but he is no longer on the roster. <laughs> um, he's a linebacker. Yeah, too. He's a yeah. linebacker from Wisconsin. His last name is Pulvermacher. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Come on. Um, ooh, if I'm not, not going to go, if I'm not going to say TJ Tampa, um <laughs> that's that's if it's if it if it is him that's that's fair that's that's like oh definitely better name than tj tampa like I, I get it i mean this is the school that brought you all the jance family i when i talked about chandler pulvermacher I, I thought it sounded like one of the henchmen from uh the original Die Hard. um i i totally like i i it is a gold mine a treasure trove of names so that's that's fair if if i uh if i stole yours because i think uh, I will. I will have a time going through it again this year, and and I will gladly, gladly, so everyone can read the uh, the better Noah roster section for the Iowa State game to see uh, who gets the the the, the most uh, ribbing. You know, if it's uh, if it's Benjamin Dunkelberger just for his uh, for his ridiculous Midwesternness or, or what. But we'll we'll let you go on that one. We have others uh, queued up. For you if you want, the, if you want like a a funny one, is like Easton Dean is a tight end. He sounds like a Hillary Duff love interest. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Or yeah, in Oklahoma, the Oklahoma. Principal in a Nicholas Sparks mo- movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what he is. Yeah. 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 A country singer who's trying to make it on the red dirt scene for right. sure. Right. Yeah. Easton Dean. Perfect. All right. So speaking with names and images and, and likenesses, right? It's it's the NIL era. Name, image, and likeness is a thing. So if you had to pick an Iowa State player and a product for them to hawk, what's the best pairing you can come up with? Iowa State player and something for them to sell with their name, image, and likeness. Well, I mean, there's lots of good ones. This is probably a good time that I should plug Bad Kick Apparel because we have actually nice. signed a few Iowa State athletes. Nice. Specifically, we have signed Connor Sally, Rory Walling, <laughs> and Connor Guess, and former Iowa State softball player Sammy Williams. So Connor Sally's thing, he has we all, we we do this thing called they're called signature series. So we put like a, their likeness on it. We give them like a saying, and then they put their signature at the bottom. Um, Connor's says "kick ass" on it or whatever, and it's got him. And Rory Walling's got his own thing. Connor Guess is a long snapper, so he's got one. It's a picture of him that's like he's doing a snap, and he's looking back like through his legs. And it just says bottoms up on it. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, so dumb. I love it. And then we got slamming Sammy, Sammy Williams. She was a softball player. She's one of the, probably the best Iowa State softball player ever. Um, so we've got those. We've got a couple more that we're, that we're talking too long and uh, getting that. So aside from plugging my own bad kick apparel for all that, um, uh, there's a few, there's a few obvious ones. I mean, like Mike Rose, if he's going to do like 1-800 flowers or something like that, oh, that's, a, that's yeah. an obvious one. Slam dunk. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Reese Hall. I mean, like Hall's cough drops is an obvious one. You've got, um, I mean, like Trevor Downing is a farmer, and that's his whole deal. So if he like showed up in a Case IH commercial sometime, that would not even not even shock me. <laughs> um, I think, and I, if I remember correctly, seeing the video, I'm pretty sure they're they're a Red Tracker family. They don't do John. They don't. They do Case IH, not John Deere. Um, uh, you know, there's a few of them too. Like, um, oh, I had a couple other ones that I off the top of my head. Like TJ Tampa feels like he should be promoting a nightclub. I don't know. <laughs> um, You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, it feels like that's exactly what that is. Um, I mean, and then Will McDonald. I mean, McDonald. We're loving it. Obviously, yes. And I, well, and actually, I would say it has Craig McDonald too. No relation, but Craig McDonald and Will McDonald could both do it. He's both do it for McDonald's. Yeah. My, my nomination would be Mike Rose doing one eight hundred flowers. I like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well, Levi, we we uh, we've been going for like an hour, which is the longest one of these we've done. You beat out. Um, Melissa Treeblosser and and um and Kami are for, for I think the longest one of these that we're gonna do. Kyle, you got one more? No, I was gonna say, but honestly, the shortest Levi has ever done on our podcast. So you know, we're we're falling <laughs> somewhere in the middle. <laughs> that is what you, you call if you, you wouldn't call we me love if you didn't it. want content. We every love it time we content. adore it. Every time we <laughs> the, adore the it. content gods must be appeased, which is something <laughs> that you do more prolifically than than most people I know, Levi. So, where, if people want more of you, you've got a bunch of stuff going on, man. Where can they find you on the internet? Well, there's obviously Wide Right Night Light is the most visible outlet of mine. Uh, we have every Tuesday we do on our YouTube on the Wide Right YouTube page. We have uh, our own take on kind of late night is a, called the Nightcap. We've had a bunch of guests on there. We've had. We've had Dave Montgomery and Alan Lazard. We found and interviewed Steel Jance, and it was delightful. <laughs> um, nice. Easily the best one we've done. But then we talked to like John Walters, who's the Iowa State color uh, analysis. We talked to Keith Murphy, who's a big anchor and news anchor up here this way. Uh, we talked to a bunch of you know, Iowa State athletes that were here. Um, and we talk about it's we got funny stuff. We got trivia games and I'll show that. But, anyways, beyond that, We've got our podcasts. We've got so we have with rolls and no luck is the D and D is a D and D podcast that I DM for. Um, Bad kick apparel is what I was just talking about before, uh, where we we do apparel for for a wide right for Frogs of War, Cowboys Ride for Free, and we also do it for Red Cup Rebellion, which is Ole Miss's uh, SP Nation site. Um, and beyond that, now we're getting into the individual uh, athlete name, image, and likeness stuff. So we're giving them their own signature shirt. They're making money off of those. So if you want to help support student athletes. You can do that. And actually Rory Walling has a shirt, another one that he's donating all of the profit that we're actually, we're, we're both donating all of the profits from the shirt to a, um, a veteran's charity. I think, uh, uh, it's, uh puppy Jake, uh, all the, 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 the proceeds cool. from that are going to that charity. Very um, cool. and then beyond that, I'm also the drummer in a band called Mars by morning. <laughs> And still, you carved out time for us. It is it is utterly amazing how you do it all. It- I also have a full time job as an engineer, so I don't know. If that's- <laughs> well, no- you've shamed us enough. Say, say no more. If there's if there's others, keep them to yourself. My parents thought I was doing not enough already, so they're not going to listen to this one. Levi, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, Gerald. So let's wrap it up nicely good conversation always with our friend now let's talk about what we're doing ourselves what we're watching on those giant screens gerald i actually didn't do a whole lot of watching i uh 
I mentioned our hometown of Shirts, Texas in the opening and I actually drove to and from Shirts, Texas over the, probably since the last time you heard us uh, to get my son down to see his grandparents for the first time since 2019. Got two sons. They got to go to Shirts because now we're all uh, COVID safe. And so we were able to go down and see them. So I listened to a couple of audiobooks. Um, the first one of the ones I listened to is called Chasing Failure. It's by a guy named Ryan Leak. It's about um, kind of finding your thing and not being afraid of failure, you know, and it, it's a, it's a classic thing, but it's really based around his experience, um, trying to fail at making an NBA roster. He was a, he was a, uh, D three, all American, really solid basketball player, but really wanted to show people that like, even if you try at something and fail, it's not the end of the world. So he ended up actually trying out for the Phoenix suns and, and not making the roster obviously, but, uh, it's like the lessons he learned through that, uh, through that process. Great book, really quick read. If that's your thing, I listened to the audiobook. Um, and then I, I dove back into a, a series that I enjoy. It's called the Reckoners series. If you're not familiar with it, uh, brand Brandon Sanderson, who's probably one of the most prolific like sci-fi and fantasy writers of the modern day, he's completed like two series in the time that it's taken George R. R. Martin to put out not a single Game of Thrones book. Uh, but he um, he wrote a, a, a superhero series about um, what would happen if superheroes were actually sociopaths. It's actually really interesting. Uh, so the third book in the series is called Firefight. I enjoyed it. It was great. Listen to it on the drive home over the weekend. So Gerald, I. Uh traveled some you know and uh i am a i'm a plane reader by nature i i read books on planes um and i actually finished my uh book before my my last flight i had segments in flights i hate uh not non-stop flights with a with a burning passion um but i read since you talked audiobooks i'm gonna talk old-fashioned reading books i read sing unburied sing uh a novel by jasmine ward um that is is wonderful i could not recommend it highly uh enough a fantastic writer from mississippi who captures i think took the mantle from like a like a faulkner into the 21st century captures kind of a little bit of just kind of southern gothic uh, mystical, um, but tells kind of the the urban um, poor experience, but weaves in kind of both uh, mythology and and family mythology. That this one particular family kind of kind of lives through traumas, both present and past, and how those come together and shape kind of this this wild tale of this non conventional family. And it's it parts gruesome to read and tough to to hear and think about and, and vivid in detail. It's well written, uh, but it, it will keep you turning the pages. And so I spent um, the first few flights reading that and, and um, it's gripping, but I needed something light afterwards. And so I did actually watch something. I'm going to use the segment, not on my giant screen, but on a, a, a small iPhone uh, screen. Uh, my, my wife suggested we watch something fun together and share the headphones. And, uh, and so we put on Shrek, which Gerald, no prep for you. What year do you think the first Shrek film came out in? 2001. That's right. You are exactly right. It just, it, it, it seems like it was like 10 years ago, not like 20 full years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, two decades. That is just wild. I guess you probably have, you're, you're reliving some of the animated films with, with the little ones. So I, you're maybe more recent in it. My son is not watching Shrek until he's 15. <laughs> Fair enough, because it holds up incredibly well. The humor still 
spot on. Uh, the the voice acting. I mean, it is just an all time one of the best movies ever. Like that's undisputed. I mean, each of the tracks are pretty good, but that first one, how delightful uh, was it? But yeah, that's that's basically my takeaway, guys. For a twenty year old movie take, here it is. You should watch Shrek if you haven't. What the heck you been doing with your life? Um, but it is it legitimately held up well. I laughed multiple times on an airplane, like which I always think it's funny when you just laugh in public and other people look at you uh, but that absolutely happened and at one point I set the the uh, iPhone after my wife fell asleep 30 minutes into it uh, up on the top of the seat and I noticed when I looked around like four people around me were watching Shrek with no sound just because come on Shrek's on who's not gonna watch Shrek so uh, again if you're here for for decades belated movie takes uh, watch Shrek guys it's uh, it's as good as it's ever been I uh, I might have to do a rewatch. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at gh Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook 'em, hook 'em. It just means more.